0: Veg for the animals. I advance. Veg. And welcome to another fun-filled episode of Veg Cast. A full menu from first to last. Veg-cast. And yes, this is the fourth veg cast, the veggie podcast. And on this show, we definitely have a full menu, uh, maybe even a little too full, but that's the way it turned out, and so we'll just go with it. Uh, coming up, we will go to an art opening, uh, the Blessing of the Animals Art Exhibit uh, at the Allen's Lane Art Center that opened on September 23rd, and that will include some music, some rather varied musical samples. Uh, We will also have the second half of our interview with the controversial but always engaging Dr. Michael Greger. Uh, And as always, we will have a science fact for you. All of that and more coming up on VegCast. VegCast! Okay, let's jump right into the Blessing of the Animals art exhibit uh, put on by Public Eye, Artists for Animals. Uh, now, folks, I gotta say this the iRiver is not a precision piece of recording equipment. It just has the one condenser microphone, and uh, when it's attached to a non precise operator such as myself, uh, you sometimes get uh, recording quality which is less than perfect. Uh, Some of that was my fault in not paying attention uh, well enough to that. Another uh, aspect was simply that sometimes the person whom I was interviewing and I would find a relatively quiet place to talk. And as soon as we got recording, uh, the bulk of the partygoers or the uh, exhibit attendees would drift over our direction, yammering all the while and getting picked up. Uh, on the recording but uh, we'll start off with something that's relatively unhampered just to give you uh, some of the flavor of what was going on this is didgeridoo playing take it away didgeridoo Some of the flavor of the ambience, uh, at least the musical ambience, for the early portion of the evening, and now we're going to take you over to Lisa Levinson, one of the founders of Public Eye, uh, for a little chat on what exactly is going on with this exhibit. We're talking with Lisa Levinson yes, and Public Eye artist for Animals, Okay. And um, it's a collaborative of artists, or it's a. It's, what exactly is the concept of the group?
1: The concept is a. Um, it is a collaborative of artists, but it's actually run um, where we have artist volunteers that we work with when we do events. Mm-hmm. So it's really there's a sort of an administration group, and that would be me and a few other people who are really gung-ho about it, and we're always looking for new gung-ho people, Um, but what we do is we actually plan the events, we set it up so that all the artists have to do is come in and bring their work, so it's very simple for them, Um, we do all the marketing, we do all of the um, background stuff.
0: Right, okay, Uh and uh, it's not just any artists, or it's not just any kind of work, it's artists for animals, what's, what is, how do you... uh, you know, what exactly is the criteria for saying, now that would be an artist that that uh, we want, or is it just self-selecting? If people want to be part of it, then...
1: In general, the way it's been so far is that when people come towards us, when they're excited about the theme and the ideas that we're promoting, then they usually are a great fit for our group. Um, the art is always about has something to do with animals, animal themes, and each one of our events has a different theme. So this one currently is a blessing of the animals, really honoring our relationships to animals, and also questioning some of those relationships. Mm -hmm. Some of them are based on entertainment and industry, um, including the food industry, so really questioning those things and using provocative images, as well as images that honor the notion that we are all equal with animals right. and their sentient beings.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We also have a related event that will be on October 15th.
0: Right, I wonder to you did
1: it? The Blessing of the Animals is actually a festival that's really um, connected to this same concept, mm-hmm. that we're really taking an opportunity to uh, yeah. honor and bless the animals. I know that there's the traditional St. Francis uh, Catholic type of holiday, and what we're doing is we're really um, using that as as a base idea to really honor the animals in a spiritual way, but not associated with religion, and it's an arts-based event. So what you'll find there is face painting, you'll find it's an event for families, and there'll be um, musical performances that all relate in some way to animals, and then we'll culminate the entire experience with a an event that that is a blessing that is also a drum circle. So it will be energy raising, and it will be lots of fun, right. the animals will be there as well.
0: And this is on October 15th, it's uh, it, it's going to be here, or where?
1: No, actually the event is separate, it will be in a separate location, it's going right. to be at the Unitarian Universalist Church of the Restoration, which is on the other side of Mount Airy, um, on Stenton and Gorgas Lanes.
0: Right, okay. And
1: it has a really great outdoor environment with the, Awesome tree that we're going to be under. I'm um, doing our drum circle, and um, we also have use of the sanctuary if it rains, so it's a great rain or shine event. It'll be from one to four, one we'll to be four. having performances from one to three, and then the drum circle from three to four. But okay. There'll also be vendors and all sorts of um, things to do just meandering okay. about and roving performers. So it should be a fun day. That
0: sounds good. Now let me just ask one more thing. What is uh, you know looking forward with this group? Uh, you're going to do more exhibits, I assume, more events. What's the uh, what's the overall aim of the the long-range plan of the group or the yeah. the overall mission?
1: It's a great question. The overall plan of this group, the mission, the, the vision for the group, is really to um, use the arts as a medium to educate people, to really raise awareness, find a way to reach more people with these concepts. Um, because sometimes the graphic images don't do it for people. They turn away, they feel resistant. And what we're trying to do is find new ways to reach the public and really in- involve them in this uh, animal rights movement.
0: Okay. Well, thanks for taking time out from the event at of- Talk with us on VegCast.
1: Excellent. Well, thanks for
0: inviting me. Okay. (laughs) Thanks. All right. So in case any of that was unclear, the Blessing of the Animals will take place at the Unitarian Universalist Church of the Restoration at Stenton Avenue in Gorgas Lane on October 15th from 1 to 4 p.m. So if you are listening to this in the Philadelphia area, why not? Head over there on October fifteenth and check that out now the artwork itself in this exhibit uh ranged pretty widely uh It was mostly pictures uh, paintings, and so forth, some sculpture, some collage uh, a lot of it uh, all of it of course centering around animals uh, a lot of it dealing with animal exploitation, but not in a very explicit way, usually, some of it rather whimsical. Um, and just for a sample, I did catch up with one of the artists, Orchidia Mod Violet, and uh, we had a conversation which, again, was marred by some crowd noise, so I tried to cobble together some of the highlights of what we talked about with what she was uh, working toward with her art. Uh, we're here with Orkidia, Maude, and Violet, who uh, has uh, five, six, seven, eight, a bunch of works in the show. <laughs> They're very colorful, and obviously we only have the audio here, so I'm going to throw it over to you just for a quick... Is there one way that you can describe all of these works of yours? Um, uh,
2: Most of them are. I work visually... Is, is, is pretty different in, in each of them um, the, the thread that connects all of them is that um, I explore um, the relationships of animals to themselves animals to the paper the negative and positive spaces um the relationship of people to animals.
0: All of your stuff has a very uh, striking contrast of color and uh, and forms, large forms and small forms. And like you said, about the negative and positive space, some of it reminds me of Escher. Um, the way When he would do animals that, that fit together, like um, and Mosaic 2, he has a thing of all those different animals that. This um, so is there one general, I mean, you're, you said animals and their relation
2: to people, their relationship to nature, and uh, their relationship to each other, okay. and right, that okay. we are all more similar than we really are different. Okay. Okay. And if we saw the similarities more, I believe there would be so much less abuse in this world of animals and abuses in general. I think that if people were, um, I think that a lot of um, a lot of the destruction of the environment and of nature and of uh, animals' homes would certainly go down. I think we don't want to see we don't want to see anything in this world as having anything be more important than us. And I think in a large way I think of what's going on in New Orleans, just to end with this, is that why did we even start to build a city that is below sea level and it really brings up, you know, we know but we want to be in denial. And so all this destruction of of nature and the environment really has to do with us knowing but us going over this boundary. That is, that is established and already there, and us saying, no, we're not going to respect it, we're going to build, because we are most powerful, Our human beings are more powerful than nature, and I think right now the world is telling, the winds, the rain, right. the sea, are uh, telling us, no, that is not true.
0: All right, well, there's always hope. Okay. Thanks for it.
2: This, this art show is hope.
0: Right, okay. And we're
2: all together here.
0: Exactly. Well, Orchidia Maud Violet, thank you for talking with us on Veggie. Thank you. Thank you
2: very
0: much. Okay, the evening culminated uh, with some more entertainment, some more diverse entertainment. First, a puppet show, which, of course, is difficult to get across in the form of audio since it basically consists of a visual uh illusion i'm just going to play a very brief clip uh to get across the some of the fun that we had with that uh when a cat puppet which was climbing up the mountain which was the very edge of the puppet uh stage front uh slips and falls behind the screen and seems to fall for uh for many miles uh what might be called a classic illusion of puppetry. So in the
2: mountains, you gotta be really careful because you can climb up and up and up the mountain. But then there's a cliff, and if you're not careful, you can fall. So you have to watch your step. So when you're walking, you gotta look down. I, I like to look 15 feet in front of me, and make sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I, I'm okay. I, I'm okay. I, monkey
0: my arm. Yes, even those peace-loving vegans still enjoy a good a bit of slapstick violence. Uh, but the last piece of uh, entertainment for the evening was a young singer-songwriter named Tyler Shepard who performed a song that we're just going to hear uh, some of uh Again, the I-River does not do justice to the quality of the song, and Tyler is going to uh, get a good recording made of the song. Hopefully we will be able to hear the song uh, in its complete form in a future VegCast. But for now, here's a little taste of Animal Eyes by Tyler Shepard as performed at the Blessing of the Animals, animals art exhibit.
2: We can rise up to the sky
0: We can find what we lost Once
2: we look deep into an animal's eyes Once we look deep into an animal's eyes For our children whose eyes
1: we look into speaking lies. We will feel the need to meet you by animals.
2: We've done wrong, but we can write.
0: That's Tyler Shepherd. You can find out more about him at tylershepherd.com. Uh, also, Public Eye Artists for Animals. Their site is www.publiceyephilly.org. And, of course, I think uh, we'll all be interested to see what this group of artists who are promoting compassion through the medium of art, and what they come up with next. Veg And what we've come up with next is part two of the VegCast Michael Greger interview. This part focusing more on strategies and tactics of vegetarian activists and vegans in general. And for those of you out there who have any problem with uh, some of Dr. Greger's more outrageous viewpoints... Well, it may gratify you to learn that I was one of two MCs at a cook-off at Summerfest in 2004 where Dr. Gregor was briefly observed, uh, putting a spoon that he had licked back into the concoction he was making for the judges to taste, uh, but not so briefly that it was not remarked upon to uh, the audience. I don't know who uh, would be so crass as to bring this little slip-up to the audience's attention, but it certainly was not the other MC. So let's go now to uh, actually one of the great advocates of uh, our movement, Dr. Michael Greger. Speaking with us once again is Dr. Michael Greger, the Director of Public Health and Animal Agriculture for the Humane Society of the United States. Dr. Greger, thanks for being back with us again on VegCast.
3: I am happy to be here.
0: Um, I wanted to ask you a few questions uh, more uh, on the on the vegan front, uh, more about kind of the tactics of vegan advocates and so forth. And uh, one of the discussions that we've had uh, is about Mad Cow and whether it is in the interest of uh, the ultimate interest of people who are concerned over animal lives to be uh, focusing on Mad Cow and trying to uh, persuade people that mad cow means they should decrease their beef consumption because you have previously pointed out that these people tend instead to simply increase their poultry consumption, which means uh, more lives lost. And are you, is that, am I, is that a fair characterization?
3: Not only, so that is a fair characterization, but it goes beyond just the number of lives we're talking about. We're talking about what kind of lives do these animals have? You know, right. Until the last few months of life, beef cattle um, and sheep, for the most part, in this country are the least intensively raised animals in this country. Um, And so for the majority of their lives, they're munching on grass. Yes, they're castrated without anesthesia. Yes, they're dehorned. Yes, they may be branded. Yes, there's all these horrible things. But compare that existence to the existence of a broiler chicken (laughs) who has, you know, who's in 45 days of hell in their short lifespan. Um, of crippling disorders because of the growth rates we bred into these animals. I mean, this is a truly horrific life of chronic pain, chronic hunger. And so, it's, I mean, it's not just the number of lives lost, but yes, indeed. You know, cows, you can make literally over a 1,000 servings of of meat, of flesh from a cow, mm-hmm. but, you know, there's just a few servings out of every chicken. So anything we can do... Too, I mean, obviously, we would love to have people move to a plant-based diet completely. But, right. I mean, any by increasing beef consumption, um, presumably people are moving from other meat to beef. Um, we are decreasing suffering to animals. You know, there. You know, PETA had this, had this kind of joke banner once, you know, we should eat whales. Why should we eat whales? Because they're huge. Because only one animal dies, you can feed a whole bunch of people, whereas you can fit almost half a chicken on someone's plate. And so, unfortunately, I mean, so, you know, mad cow disease, from an animal welfare standpoint, is a vegetarian nightmare, is a nightmare from anyone who's concerned about suffering of animals, because as we saw over in Europe, when people people were scared away from beef, and indeed thousands of people went vegetarian every week in certain countries like Germany and Britain, but at the same time, as a population as a whole, what they did in general was move over to pork and chicken. And when you think of what these animals, what, uh, you know, the pigs, the mother pigs have to deal with, what the, you know, and what these broiler chickens have to deal with, you know... Uh, Uh, And so the number of animals, the number, the amount of suffering, you know, really went through the roof.
0: But I, can I just put it, my stance on that, however, I mean, I agree with everything you say in terms of what the, uh, what our ultimate goals should be and how those, those two compare, but I I have to say, aren't we uh, kind of voluntarily, voluntarily putting ourselves into a Sophie's Choice that is, that is created by the, or maybe it's Hobson's choice. I get those choices mixed up. But the um, something where we are being forced to take responsibility for pitting one thing against another when it's really um, a system that we are trying to work on in any way, shape, or form uh, to, to hopefully undermine the general system and have a, a more long-term beneficial effect.
3: Well, I mean, we are all responsible for the foreseeable consequences of our actions. And we know from history, we have—I mean, we—there has been a mad cow outbreak in this world, and it happened over in Europe. Mm-hmm. And I can email anyone the statistics. And in the short term, we don't know what happened in the long term, but in the short term, it was—it was—it was, it was, it was a, a virtual holocaust of bird death, thanks to mad cow. Right. And so. Now, of course, we can sit down and think, well, maybe there's some long-term benefit. But, you know, the animals dying now, um, you know, really argue of thinking very, very hard about the kind of strategies. And now there's only so much time of the day. There's only so much anyone can do. So instead, not saying necessarily mad cow activism. Mm-hmm. It's a bad thing. It does expose some unseemly agribusiness practices about the cannibalism and about you know the feeding of the feces to these farm animals. I mean, it kind of gets people questioning whether or not the meat industry and our regulatory um, apparatus really has their health in mind right. foremost. But at the same time, can we talk about, can we expose the industry in the same way? But talk about, you know, the the um, the E. coli, which is giving thousands of women, you know, urinary tract infections. And where's it coming from? It's coming from chicken. You know, we can talk about the arsenic that's being fed to chickens. They're so parasite ridden, you can increase their growth rates by feeding them arsenic. And so the arsenic goes in the muscle meat, we actually eat the arsenic. Um, we can talk about... Some of the uh, some of the food-borne illness that's associated with aquaculture, this kind of, you know, uh, this factory-farmed fish. Right. Um, and so we can, in the same way, I mean, you know, it's it's a sad fact, but there's so much cruelty across so many, you know, so many sectors of the industry. We can just choose, um, you know, to to kind of get the biggest kind of bang for a buck, and where is that happening? It's really, you know, beef would be kind of the last on my list.
0: Right, okay. Well, I guess a kind of related question is whether the general strategic uh, pointing out of all of the the illnesses and, uh, you know, the general bad health effects, the making people scared, so to speak, is overall a, a good uh, a winning long term strategy? I realize that working as you do with you know uh, focusing on animal agriculture and uh, public health, um, that's going to be a large part of where you're looking. but is there is there some way that we as uh, as activists might try to either balance that or shift focus to uh, you know something more positive and happy-go-lucky.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, it it works. I mean, if you there was, uh, I don't know if you saw this, the recent article about the tuna industry devastated, declining uh-huh. tuna sales. Why? Because of the mercury issue. Uh-huh. Um. So we're talking about a health issue. People are concerned about miscarriages, birth defects, mental retardation. So women, children, women of childbearing age. I mean it was it's it's such a serious issue that you know these, the you know the tuna industries now spending all this you know money now in public relations trying to spend it because the uh, the rate of tuna consumption continues to drop. Now unfortunately kind of going back to our other point tuna are really big fish. <laughs> and so uh, I re- I mean they're huge.
0: So they're um, more what anchovies And so or- you
3: know so if they move over to sardines oh, um you know more animals are dying. Hmm. Um but or even if they move over to chicken, more animals are dying. Um, and I'm just hoping people will think about you know, where this, what kind of path, where the destination leads us when we think about what issues to attack, what issues to you know, bring to the public's attention. And so I just bring up the mercury example just so it works. It right. really works. Yes, yes, when we as a movement talked about these veal calves, veal consumption dropped, continued to drop. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and so, you know, uh, you know, telling ta- ta- you know, in well, the veal calves,
0: people... but the veal calves is not we were not talking about how veal calves were going to kill you. Right. We were talking so, about right. this is so look at this. This is this is such an extreme example that even you must realize that this is wrong. And it's that that's one kind of argument. But then so we another... got
3: multiple prongs. So I'm saying they both work. Right. So I and I and I would hate to see us. Um, you know, uh, drop one completely over the other, as some may argue. I think there's room for both. We can do both simultaneously. And as we talked about in the last program, you know, many of the most cruel aspects are, actually have public health consequences, right. like the intensive confinement, lowering their immune systems, stressing them out, increasing pathogen shedding. Um, you know these um you know many uh, you know the diseases et cetera the marbling of the flesh um with the grain feeding of the beef which gives them you know tremendous uh, digestive upset you right. know increases saturated fat content et cetera et cetera and so we can talk about these both simultaneously sick animals you know lead to sick meat basically
0: all right well one other thing about uh our our strategies in what we talk about you you did uh, kind of make a stir at summerfest uh, this past summer uh, with uh, a a position I guess it was an official position that we should not bother mentioning honey can you could you summarize that for me briefly?
3: you know honey hurts more than bees it hurts egg- laying hens. It hurts mother pigs. It hurts. Um, it hurts. It hurts these animals because honey, in my opinion, hurts our movement. Huh. You know, and it's happened to me over and over again. I will be talking, you know, telling someone why I'm vegan. Someone will ask, you know, and open up that opportunity. It could be a new friend, coworker, distant family, complete strangers. But I know I then have this tiny window of opportunity to indelibly convey their first vegan impression am i gonna open the window breathing in sunlight fresh ideas or slam it shut and the blinds fall right Hmm. so i talk to them of mercy of cats and dogs they shared their lives with of birds with a half piece of paper's worth of space to live and die in of animals literally sometimes suffering to death I I used to eat meat, too, a lot of meat, right? Mm-hmm, right. And I didn't know either, right? Slowly, but surely, the horror dawns on them. You know, you start to see them struggling internally. You know, how can they pet their dog with one hand, stab the pig with the other? You know, right. they love animals, but they eat animals, you know? And, so, you know, just as their inner conscience seems to be winning out, they learn, yes, we don't eat honey. And you can see... I've seen over and over this conflict drain away with an almost visible sigh. They finally think they understand what this whole vegan thing is about. We're not vegan because we're trying to be compassionate, right? But you can see them thinking, no, no, we're just crazy, right? (laughs) Right? They smile, they point, you can almost, you mo- you, you see like, oh, you had me going for a second, you know, they <laughs> chuckle, you know, woo, that was a close one, right? They almost had to seriously think about these issues, right? right? They may have actually just started considering boycotting eggs, arguably the most concentrated form of animal cruelty, but then the thought hits them that we're just kind of standing up for insect rights or something, you know, maybe... They imagine us putting out little thimble-sized bowls of food for the cockroaches every night, right? That's what they see in their eyes, right? I guess so.
0: All right, well...
3: No, so I'm afraid that our public avoidance, right? I'm not talking about what you do in your own private life, you know, right. with mature, consenting adults, but I'm afraid <laughs> that our public avoidance of honey is hurting our
0: movement. All right. Well, I thought, um, uh, since we, we keep on talking about... Uh, Against this and against that um I would try to get uh to wrap this up with something a little more positive uh which is that uh that chocolate tofu pie I wanted to ask you if you could tell our listeners how to make it's very it's a very simple pie to make and it's excellent um and you turned me on to it so i I was hoping maybe we could do you ha- do you remember it off the top of your head Did-
3: well the basics. The basic plan for tofu chocolate pie, and so if any, this is the way you introduce non-vegans to tofu, non-vegetarians to tofu, right? right? Give them this, you say, this is tofu, right? They eat it, and then they're converts for the rest of their lives. It basically, we're talking two ingredients. Okay. Uh, now you can get wild, you can get crazy, and you can add other stuff, but there are two ingredients, and the two ingredients are silken tofu, also known as Japanese tofu, like the Mori New tofu in the aseptic pass- packages, mm-hmm. has this wonderful, nice, soft, silky um, texture, so it's not gritty. All right, so um, silken tofu and melted vegan chocolate chips. Two ingredients. That's it. You throw it in a. Uh, Well, I mean, God, you throw it in a glass or a bowl, it's pudding, but you throw it in a nice, you know, uh, graham cracker crust, which you can get anywhere.
0: Well, now here's the key thing. How much tofu versus how much chocolate chips?
3: It all depends on how chocolatey you want to get. But literally, I mean, you can just, um, you know, you blend it together, food processor, or you can just kind of whip it together on a bowl. And you just, that's the nice thing about vegan cooking. You can taste it. You don't have to worry about dying from salmonella, right? (laughs) And so you stick the fork and you lick it. You stick that just licked fork back in the bowl because you're the ones who's going to be eating it. And uh, so uh, you, you can do that. And, of course, I would never do such a thing in reality. During a cooking demonstration <laughs> or anything like that, but if you're the only one eating it, you can lick the you stick it right back in until right. you got enough chocolate until you you know you got your fix going, but it won't keep you up all night. Well, do you now, even have,
0: is there even a guideline that one might start with?
3: <laughs> um, uh, a, a guideline is two more new so the more new boxes I believe are twelve ounces, yeah, or ten point five ounces. So two of those boxes to a small bag. I forget. I think they're like you know. Uh, 10, 10 ounce bags of you know these of right. there's a barat chocolate chips there's a tropical source makes some um, wonderful vegan chocolate chips, um, and uh, and uh, so I mean that's that's in general but a lot of people like to go more chocolatey some people like putting vanilla extract maybe a little cinnamon there's all sorts of ways you can go with this um, but that's kind of the basic recipe and uh, and you and, just
0: put them together in the food processor and whip it up until.
3: You you don't even have to food process you 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 melt the chocolate chips right. and, and no I worry I mean well I, you, you stir can, it
0: with a fork what do you do you can you can fork it I'm yep. telling you
3: I mean and it's good upper body strength but if you don't want to do that yes food processor blender will do it and you whip it right up you chill it and and the the melted you know the melted chocolate it you know, kind of congeals as it cools down the cocoa butter and nice saturated fat kind of hardens and you have this really. Wonderful, kind of firm, chocolate, creamy mousse, and uh, and will win over any anyone to tofu. Okay, and it's healthy. Just a, just about. I mean, we're talking. I mean, uh, very wonderful plant protein, fodder, nutrients, We have uh, polyphenols and the chocolate. Good stuff. So nice, healthy dessert as well. Okay, just make sure no trans fats in the um, graham cracker crust. No hydrogenated oils.
0: Okay. All right. It sounds great, and I will, uh, I will be making one of that one of those very soon, and uh, thanking you then. But I'll thank you now for joining us again on Vegcast. Thank
3: Looking you. forward to coming back.
0: Okay, and I look forward to talking with you more about uh, vegan strategy and vegetarian issues in general, and also seeing what uh, what you cook up next down there at the uh, at the Humane Society. Thank you. So, all right. Thank you, Dr. Greger. Surprise. Wild gorillas use tools also is the point of this edition of Science Fact, something that scientists previously had assumed only gorillas in captivity, gorillas who had interacted a lot with humans, did uh, use basic tools, uh, has now for the first time been documented and confirmed in the wild. This is a truly astounding discovery, said uh, the study leader Thomas Breuer of the Wildlife Conservation Society and the Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology in Leipzig, Germany. Now, I made this point back in the Vegetarian Voice article I wrote on this subject, which I'll link to again in the show notes, that uh, when a discovery such as this in animal behavior is made, the scientists involved are always astounded and astonished at the significance of this discovery. uh, Because, of course, that makes a better quote, which makes for better news coverage. But let's uh, make no mistake, this is another case where uh, we did not have complete data on a certain aspect of animals' mental capacity. And thus, rather than say our data gathering has so far uh, just not allowed us to take any stance on this, we, that is science, said that the mental capacity was obviously deficient or of a lower order than that of humans whose mastery of tools has put us on the top of the food chain and so forth. As for the specifics of this, the scientific team uh, working in the Republic of Congo saw a female gorilla nicknamed Leah attempting to wade through a pool of water created by elephants. After quickly sinking waist deep, she got out of the water and picked up a meter long stick. She then re-entered the water and repeatedly prodded the stick ahead of her as if to test For depth, Uh, she advanced about uh, 10 meters into the pool this way. And in a second case, uh, they saw a different gorilla uh, forcefully pushing a dead shrub to the ground, holding a stick as a tool for support with her left hand uh, over her head for two minutes while dredging food with the other hand. I don't understand exactly how that works, but the point seems to be here. Uh, Effie, that's this gorilla's nickname, then took the trunk with both hands and placed it on the swampy ground in front of her, crossed bipedally on this self-made bridge, and walked quadrupedally towards the middle of the clearing. So that's uh, just a brief science fact for today, and the point, once again, is that gorillas have obviously been using tools such as these Uh, Since the beginning of time, probably, and during the entire time that humanity was claiming that gorillas had lower mental capacity uh, because of this, among other reasons, this reason, that was wrong. Uh, We had been wrong that whole time, so you have to ask yourself, what other things might we not yet have found out about that we are claiming we happen to know that a certain animal is of a lower order. Just one more thing to consider when faced with science fact. And that's about it for this edition, the fourth VegCast. I'd like to thank everybody at Public Eye, Artists for Animals, all the people who were at the exhibit who uh, were represented in sound clips. And, of course, I'd like to thank Dr. Michael Greger for his insights and for being a good sport. You can find our show notes with links to relevant sites at www.vegcast.com. And be sure to drop us a line at feedback at vegcast.com. Let us know what you like on the show, what you don't like, what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of. Perhaps it's this very kind of talking that you want to hear less of. But let us know. Beg-cast. Also, be sure to subscribe. VegCast is on iTunes and several other podcast directories. And tune in next time uh, when we will have more music, certainly more music uh, than this time. Including a track from Neil Barnard and uh, an interview with Doug Connard about his music. We'll also have some scary news for Halloween, as well as plenty more, as always. That's all coming up on the next Cast. And until then, wishing you the best. I'm Vance. Get out there and live like you mean it. Veg. we go now we're off the air isn't it amazing how podcasting works you just now they say that's what yeah
3: you say we're off the air but now you catch me in all the you know uh, uh, off the record (laughs) stuff right so tell me about last night
1: i know i know